Knowledge is power, and we are all about empowering the mamas of the world. In each episode, we will unravel and interpret the latest research and evidence-based practices for pregnancy, postpartum, and motherhood. As mums and researchers ourselves, we have experienced firsthand the overwhelming complexity of information, myths, and those classic old wives' tales. I'm Dr. Renee White. And I'm Dr. Mika Petrucci. And And this this is... is the Science of Motherhood. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Renee White. My co-host, Dr. Mika Batucci, is on assignment, being a mum <laughs> for the second time, which is just beautiful. Uh, so unfortunately, she didn't get to join us for this particular episode, but I had the absolute pleasure of interviewing Meg Stockhammer, who is a physio and mum to three-month-old Akira. You will see a photo of Meg and Akira in the thumbnail of this episode. She is absolutely divine. Meg is not just a mum. She is the face behind Hey Mama Physio. She has a practice and movement studio dedicated to pre- and postnatal mummers, which is set to open in August this year. She is located in Bayswater, Victoria, Australia, and Meg really resonated a lot with me because she has a serious thirst for knowledge. She describes herself as a nerd for scientific evidence and has a passion for integrating that information into choices and lifestyle in simple and realistic ways, and I absolutely attest to this. You will hear this um, in our interview today. And it's one of the things that I really love about Meg. You know, she's got that real pragmatic and realistic expectation of mums and their bodies in pregnancy and postpartum. And as a very fresh human being to motherhood, she is learning quite quickly that motherhood is really hard. It integrates your mind, your body and emotional state. And this is where Meg's practice and her holistic outlook on her approach to pregnancy and postpartum physio is just outstanding. So during her visits, she encourages all of her clients to have conversations about a variety of topics, not just their body. It includes mental health, family dynamics, pelvic floor issues, including continence, pain, and return to sex. She's also currently working through her own pelvic floor issues, as every mama does, following her birth which has slowed her down with her return to her loves of yoga, strength training and netball. So she too gets the frustrations and fears that can accompany movement during postpartum recovery. And it was such a beautiful discussion with Meg. We touched on a variety of topics, including obviously exercises that you can do to prepare your body for labor and how those are different in the postpartum period. We went there and we talked about the first poop and how mamas could approach that 
whether it be post-vaginal birth or C-section. And then we also talked about, you know, some real kind of tangible, tactical things that mums can implement today, right now, whether it be through breath work or pelvic floor recovery exercises. And of course, some red flags um, that mummers might need to seek medical advice for, whether it be through a pelvic floor physio or GP. And on that note, I would like to just remind everyone that the information in this podcast is for general use only. It is not medical advice. If you do have any medical issues, please seek the assistance from a trained medical practitioner. And before we jump into this episode, I wanted to give a big shout out to all of our listeners. Meg has kindly provided a link to a free afterbirth movement program, which is suitable for mummers in the first six weeks post-birth. You can find this on her website, heymummaphysio.com.au forward slash movement after birth. That's all one word. And I have had a look at this content and it is absolute gold. So you're looking at things like benefits of early movement, how to prioritize rest, what the benefits of rest are, how to connect with yourself. She talks about nutrition and a topic that we kind of delved a bit deeper into. And I think this is going to be um, a topic where we will have Meg back on the podcast, breathing, core and pelvic floor work. So that breath work, I find extremely interesting. And Meg and I are going to be looking at that topic a little bit further in the future. So the program includes a play-by-play each week of particular movements that you can do in order to start connecting with your body again, getting your pelvic floor recovery on its way. Meg has some fantastic video content demonstrating all of these movements. And I guess coming back to that holistic view, she also provides a lot of information around rest, connection and nourishment as well. So without further ado, here is Meg. Welcome to the podcast, Meg Stockhammer from Hey Mama Physio. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited. Mm, Now, for all those playing at home, Meg and I have had a few discussions offline and we've been kind of drumming around what are we going to talk about today because there's so much, I I feel, to cover when it comes to physio work, body work. And Meg, you're actually the first guest on our podcast um, who is related to body work. And I was thinking about this the other day because I would really love during our conversation to be able to talk about, you know, specific movements and or exercises and things like that. And I was thinking, how are we going to get this out to the listeners? You know, <laughs> we're going to need some graphic details about extending arms and legs and abs and all that kind of stuff. So that's going to be interesting for just an audio only. But I reckon we might follow up with 
maybe some graphical kind of content as well for our Instagram and, and, and listeners. So I think that would be really, really helpful. But let's go back to first principles. So you are a physio and a mama now. Congratulations. Beautiful Akira. What is, what is mum life like knowing your physio background? What are the things that you have learnt and perhaps tweaked and that you're going to put in back into your practice when you start again in August, is it? Yeah. Yeah. So just over a month. Um, so I, I love being a mum, but it's definitely, I guess, what's the word? Not a bit of sweet, I suppose. There's the hard parts and then there's also the awesome parts. And sometimes you're feeling those things at exactly the same time. Knowing what I know um, as a physio, I would definitely say that there's the human in me that doesn't implement any sometimes, <laughs> any of the things that I know I should be implementing. It's just part and parcel of of being human and also being a mum with a little one to look after, which I'm sure all the mums listening understand. Yeah. So I think it just highlights to me, which I've always brought into my practice, that the physical component of any anything, um, but in this case, obviously, um, pregnancy and postpartum, is that physical is only one part of it. And often, obviously, physios could be preaching about do you pelvic floor, do this, do that, you know, exercise. Um, but I think it's just reinforced for me that it's only one part of it. And sometimes letting the physical go is what you need to do that day. And sometimes the physical is what you do need to focus on because if you're struggling with something like incontinence or, or prolapse or whatever it is like that is obviously then going to potentially impact other areas of your life or your ability to socialize. So it's all about that balance. So I think, um, yeah, going back into practice, yeah, it's really just reinforcing that holistic focus, holistic approach to things. I think I thought I was holistic before, um, but I'm definitely approaching it with a whole new mindset now. Yeah, with that mental health and just putting it into life and just having fun being a mum too. It's not all about recovery and, and getting your body back. Absolutely. And I think that's great, Meg. Um, you know, you see a lot of mums out there who have that social expectation to bounce back. What are the types of exercises you did during pregnancy to prepare for your birth? So in terms of actual birth preparation, I just made sure I was focusing my hips mobile, but that's sometimes just as simple as going for a walk. Actually, right before my labor, I went on a really walk, probably too far, but I can safely say that my pelvis was very mobile going into labor, almost too mobile. I think it was part of the problem. Uh, but yeah, just keeping that whole area obviously nice and open. This is obviously relevant for um, a vaginal birth. If you've got a plan C section, not so important. And just exercising in general has been shown to improve some outcomes, such as um, reducing the pushing stage if you're giving birth vaginally and obviously just postpartum recovery in general. So I guess preparing for birth is more than just like the birth that, you know, day or whatever it is. It's also about preparing for immediately after birth too. So yeah, in terms of what I did, to be honest, I felt quite sick for the first probably half of my pregnancy and I'm human, I really lose my motivation as soon as I don't feel great. And it was COVID. So I I didn't get to go to my classes. I was doing yoga and all that kind of thing. But a lot of it was just like basic home workouts or just doing a little bit here and there. But yeah, so just a lot of focus on the pelvis and lower back and and yeah, just getting, keeping that moving. And so in comparison, you know, that was actually one of the questions that we had a lot from our audience on Instagram when we did a poll 
which was what are the differences between exercises preparing for birth versus postpartum? So I guess um, there's a lot of different factors that go into that because if you're preparing for your first birth, it's different if you're preparing for your second or your third birth because going into a, a subsequent birth, you're carrying um, any ongoing recovery that you may still have from the first birth. Some women go back into their second or third birth at a similar level to the first time they were pregnant, but obviously some of us go into it with pelvic floor weakness that's still happening, even if you don't have symptoms or you've had a tear before or you've had a C-section before and now you go for a V-back or whatever it is, or maybe you go for a C-section this time. So it's, I guess, not clear cut in terms of what do you do in pregnancy and what do you do afterwards? But I guess in general, pregnancy is more a focus on, I guess, more general exercise, just staying active, also just bringing that into like mental wellness too, because obviously so much of birth, regardless of the avenue that it takes, is mindset and how you feel about it as well you know coming out the other side feeling empowered and like you had choices and all that um so much more than obviously it's a huge physical feat as well but it's only one part of it but then postpartum I guess it depends on how your birth has gone and and what your focus needs to be so for example um I had a grade two coronal tear I was recovering with that. I've still got some pain in that area, recovering in terms of return to sex and things like that. And then my pelvic floor is still not great. So I'm not back running or anything like that versus someone else at six weeks may actually feel okay. I'm not saying around at six weeks. Most people can't, (laughs) but it really is dependent. So I guess postpartum is more individual. But in general, pelvic floor is going to be a focus, obviously, regardless of whether you've had a cesarean section or a vaginal birth. It's a big myth that if you've had a C-section, you don't have to do your pelvic floor exercises afterwards. Yeah, you've been pregnant for nine months. So (laughs) that generally puts a bit of pressure down there. And then core as well. And again, if you've had a C-section, generally you might have to focus on core a little bit more because you've had that obviously incision through your abdominal muscles. So they're the two main areas. And along with that, breathing is a big component postpartum because pelvic floor and core are such a uh, integrated muscle system that work with your breathing. Often if you've got dysfunction in one or both of those areas, your breathing will be compromised, which then can contribute to mental health because if you're breathing up here in your chest, that means you can actually make your brain make you feel more anxious, which along with sleep deprivation, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, breathing, core and pelvic floor are probably like my main pillars and their main pillars in postpartum recovery, whereas pregnancy is more general, just feel good, you know, and obviously focus on that pelvis, hip, lower back area in terms of staying mobile, particularly for a vaginal delivery. That's really interesting, that breathwork concept. I hadn't even really considered that. So in terms of that, so let's explore that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Are there particular breathing exercises that you would recommend? Is there, like, I love an app. I'm an app girl. Um, Mika would kill me for saying that. <laughs> She's more of a pen and paper girl. But is there particular things that sh- you could be, you know, actionable things that a mum could do right now mm-hmm. as she was listening to this podcast? What could she do? So it can literally just be as simple as, just stopping what you're doing and just close your eyes and just breathe. Don't try to change it and just see where it's going. And you'll be, it's interesting sometimes because also at different parts of the day, your breath will be in different areas of your body. So if you're woken up in the morning and you haven't got out of bed yet and hopefully you went up too many times in the night with your little one if you're postpartum or up too many times to pee if you're pregnant, um, you'll probably be pretty relaxed and your breathing is more likely to be 
towards your belly. If you're pregnant, it's a bit different, obviously, because there's a baby in the way, um, especially towards the end. Um, yeah. But then, you know, say, for instance, right now, you and I are on a, on a podcast and, and we're in our heads and we're thinking about what we want to talk about. Maybe we're excited. Like that's all associated with, I guess, more of the fight or flight system. Like we're a bit more up and about. And so then our breath might be a little bit more in our chest because our bigger muscles are getting ready to run in a way. <laughs> in a way but in like- Jeez, Meg, I, I did think this interview was going to be that fierce. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, just checking in with your breath. And then from there, if you find that when you check in, you're like, geez, I'm always up in my neck, up in my chest. Um, and usually when you sit into that, it doesn't feel nice. Like it feels a bit more tense. And, again, if it's directed towards something like something exciting, then that seems like it's going to be helpful. But if you're just lying in bed in the morning and you feel like you're breathing in your chest, that doesn't feel very nice. So then it can be a bit of, okay, well, let's try and redirect it into the belly. Maybe I'm tensing my stomach. Maybe I'm just holding tension in other areas of my body and it's not letting the breath go there. So then you start to play around with that. But yeah, just from now, if you were to do something right now, it would be just to check in and see where it's at and just go go from there. I love that. I'm going to do that now. Yeah, because I think the more, you know, the longer I'm a mother for, the more I'm kind of delving into the mindfulness and, um, as you say, breath work. I've actually booked myself in for a retreat through Belinda Anderson and I know that one of the components of that is breath work so I'm I'm so curious to learn more about that type of thing and I think it's um, a good complement to my science brain which is very logical can be quite black and white you know is that in a white paper research kind of publication and things like mm-hmm. that so I think it's really lovely to kind of have that um, almost Eastern uh, style of 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 medicine yeah. for mamas as well. There's a lot of science out there on breath work now too, though. So you can definitely fuel your science brain um, with the science of breath because there's so much more on it now because yoga has taken such a yeah uh, taken off in the Western world, I suppose. So yeah, I've actually got a book called The Science of Meditation, which I'm sure covers breath. I haven't read it yet, but yeah, there's heaps of research out there. So you can definitely come at it from both angles. I'm 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 gonna be borrowing that book, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> can you explain to me what is what is the abdominal separation of the muscles during pregnancy? And I guess how would a mum know that she has that? Mm-hmm. I I just I during my pregnancy I was never kind of asked about it. I didn't think I had anything you know wrong with my abs but then having a c-section afterwards I was so conscious of it Mm. and evidently after I went and saw a a personal trainer who specializes in postpartum she identified that I did have separation of my ab muscles and I was actually quite shocked I was because she said to me Oh, did you experience, you know, some issues and what have you? And I was like, mm-hmm. no. So how is that something, you know, that women could have identified? Is it an issue? Are there certain things they should or should not be doing during pregnancy to kind of assist them in their recovery afterwards? So I guess I'll start by saying um, that if you're reaching third trimester and sometimes even before then, um, as most women, most women do, you will have abdominal separation. 
So okay. at the end of pregnancy, 100% of women will have it. It's just a normal part of pregnancy. It's So what it is for those who, who is that if you imagine um, your six-pack muscles, which most of us know because most of us want them, <laughs> especially after the, the mythological yeah. six pack they're actually an eight pack and a tumble. oh yeah there's an extra two down the bottom anyways there's a, a line between them so it's a line of connective tissue that's quite um strong but what happens is so your abdominal muscles aren't separating so they're not splitting your muscles are still intact okay. it's that piece of connective tissue stretches and gets wider not only from the pressure of the baby being in your belly, um, but just hormones as well. They allow that area to stretch. If your abs were tight the whole time, you would have some serious ab pain. Like, can you imagine, you know what stretching your hamstrings feels like? It doesn't feel yeah. great. Can you imagine if your abs were stretching your whole pregnancy? It'd be horrible. Like, thank goodness mm-hmm. for hormones. Thank God that relaxes a little bit. Otherwise, that would be another discomfort of pregnancy. And some women do get a bit of discomfort down the middle of their, their belly as well. So that's the first thing. So that's what it is. And by the end of pregnancy, we, we all have some degree of separation. In terms of what's normal or what we are not worried about postpartum, um, generally it's about two centimetres between okay. those abs when you're actively um, doing a crunch, so lifting your head and shoulders if you're lying on your back. That's one component, but we also want to look at the depth. So essentially, if someone's assessing it, yeah, they'll, they'll pop their fingers in and feel feel the distance between those two sides of your six-pack muscles. But then you'll also push the fingers down, in, I guess, towards your back to see how deep it goes because that can give us an indication of that deeper core muscle and how that's, that's going. So yeah, there's a few different components. A big uh, myth is that, interesting that your personal trainer said that, or have you been having issues? Just because you have abdominal separation doesn't mean that you're destined to have back pain or prolapse or pelvic floor issues. It's only one picture. If Yeah, that would just be <laughs> terrible. It's a terrible thing. We love to demonize our abs, I think, because there's already so much societal pressure to have a nice flat stomach. So it's nice to be like, oh, my abs are separated now. That's the cause of all my problems. No, it's only one component. So, yeah, it's a very normal part of pregnancy. In terms of during pregnancy, you may notice when you're using your abs, like, for example, if you were to sit straight up out of bed rather than rolling into your side, you might notice like a doming down the middle of your tummy. So it's like a triangle as you're using your abdominal muscles. You might also notice that like if you're doing a big oh, an exercise of any kind, it might not even be ab heavy. It could be an arm workout. Um, so that's the biggest indicator not of the separation itself, but that the pressure in your abdominal area is not being controlled by the muscles. Mm-hmm. So the doming is more of an issue than the separation itself. So women can go on for the rest of their life and have three fingers, four fingers of separation, but if they're controlling that area, we're not concerned because they should just be able to do what they need to do. So rehab's focused on, I guess, retraining those muscles if there is an ongoing issue. You just want to avoid doing anything that causes that doming during pregnancy and you don't want to be doing things like planks on your toes, ab crunches, sit-ups, anything that's really, really ab heavy. Okay, that's really interesting. Thanks for that. And you touched on a point, you know, when you're getting out of bed, you know, doing the rolling instead of sitting up, I guess, like a hinge movement. That was one of the things that I was absolutely terrified of doing post Caesar. I was like, I was moving at the speed of a sloth. Yeah. And so let's talk about post-birth. Let's talk about, I guess, a vaginal birth versus a C-section. What are your 
recommendations or top tips for women in those initial movements. And I guess for me, it was around like, I know it was 2017. I think the likelihood of my incision, you know, bursting open and, you know, my guts spilling out onto the bed were quite low. But in my head, psychologically, I was like, Lord, I do not want to be moving quickly at all. So what are your top tips for mamas post-birth in terms of movement? So I think regardless of the birth you've had, rest is number one, which I think we sometimes think we're resting, but (laughs) we're not resting. When we look back on it, I definitely thought I was resting in those first um, couple of weeks, Um, but I look back and I was all over the place and was definitely running around and um, paid for it at about day five when my stitches from my perineal tear um, started getting really sore. Um, I was waddling like an absolute champion. Uh, (laughs) But yeah, so resting as much as possible, whether you're bottle feeding, breastfeeding or using formula, whatever, trying to do it um, lying down if you can. Obviously, yeah, it's obviously more convenient with um, breastfeeding, but if you can get the bottle, lie down rather than being up all the time, particularly for vaginal deliveries as well because you want to stay off your perineal area. So if we talk about, um, yeah, so C-section recovery in those first few weeks, so you want to log roll out of bed, which I assume you would have done, which is essentially you're lying on your back, yeah. you roll onto your side, and then you push yourself up. And if that feels too much still, you can, if you've, um, during pregnancy, a lot of us end up propping ourselves up on pillows towards the end if we've had reflux. I was definitely one of those. Um, so if you're actually propped up on pillows while you sleep with, um, in those early days, when you roll onto your side, you don't have to push up as far. So that's another nice, nice tip. And then in terms of C-section as well, you'll always have a restriction on lifting, which is always funny because, not funny, um, ironic, because you've got a baby you've got to look, to look after and they say, you know, don't lift X amount of kilos for this many weeks and you've got a child and then you've got to get the shopping or whatever it is. But um, you obviously just being mindful of how much you are lifting if it means that you have to get someone to help you if you can or, yeah, they're the biggest things, just not lifting too much, resting. And don't, be, yeah, I know it's scary to... Um, think that your scar is going to increase things. But that's obviously completely normal. Like if, if you'd had any type of surgery, um, and I was also scared of my stitches in my perineum as well. Like it's just a normal part of, of healing an area that's literally being cut open. Like I think it's totally appropriate for you to be scared of that. If that prompts you to, to rest and, and just take it easy, I think that's a good thing. It's always saying like, hey, let's listen to this body. Like clearly I'm scared of that for a reason. How about we just chill and not put so much pressure on myself if possible? Vaginal delivery, so obviously pelvic floor recovery is going to be more uh, important than if you've had a cesarean section. So, again, lifting, you want to be careful lifting your babe, but more so in terms of really engaging your pelvic floor as you lift them. Still appropriate for C-section too, but you imagine vaginal delivery, you've got a lot more. uh, The pelvic floor actually stretches 2.5 to 3 times normal length during a vaginal delivery. So, that's a, that's a lot of stretching. So in those early weeks, you just want to make sure you're protecting that pelvic floor as you're lifting things. And again, resting, but even more so lying down because sitting on your perineum as it's healing just is generally uncomfortable, especially if you have a, a tear. And we know that of women who deliver vaginally, first-time mums, it's like a 90% chance you'll have some kind of perineal injury, even if it's just a, a graze or a grade one tear. Like there'll be something most likely that's happened down there. So you just want to stay off it and then your rest. So resting, lifting and gentle protection of your pelvic floor. 
Yeah, I love that. And you touched on breastfeeding, lying down if you can. And I actually had a question from one of our followers on Instagram. When you're looking at perhaps a breastfeeding chair or some sort of setup for feeding your baby, are there certain things or elements that you should be looking for in your kind of feeding setup? Mm-hmm. So I'd say one of the biggest things, um, not only with breastfeeding, but just like carrying your baby, because it's often the same position, right? It's just, can you let go of tension somewhere? So, so often, and I'm guilty of this, I'll be holding Akira in whatever position and I'll be like grabbing her with my hands. But when I think about it, I can actually let my wrists and my fingers go and you can actually just hold them with your forearms, which is obviously using stronger muscles. Your fingers and your hands are designed to be holding four or five kilos, almost seven kilos now. So, so that's just one thing in general, like regardless of your chair setup, just can you let go of tension? Are you holding your shoulders up close to your ears? Like, can you let go? Are you holding tension in your core, your hips, your legs? I often find if I'm breastfeeding, even inside lie in bed, I'll be like holding myself in that position when I could just rock myself a little bit and then I can relax. So just trying to find a position where you can be as relaxed and as comfortable as possible. In general, in terms of a chair setup, that might involve having a pillow to put under your arms so that you've got something to rest on rather than having to hold your baby up. It could be in the form of an armrest, but again, you want it to be appropriate height. You don't want it to be too high, too low. Being a bit lower is actually a bit better because you can prop something under your elbow, like a towel or something, if it's, it's not obviously not around the same size. I would say that you want to be going... Ironically, I think people think, oh, I need to have good posture while I'm breastfeeding. You want to be relaxed. So something that you can lean back on and not be sitting upright. And if that gives you a little bit of lower back tension, then popping a pillow or a rolled up towel at your lower back can sometimes just alleviate that. So I guess it's individual, but general things are just being able to relax, making sure you're not hitching your shoulders up. You've got some support under your arms if you need it. And yeah, if you need that lower back support, popping something there. Awesome. Love it. I actually do that setup even on the couch. Like it doesn't have to be a fancy, yeah. fancy chair. I know because I've seen I, – I just had a high back chair, you know, that we got from Ikea. I didn't have anything fancy. The only thing I wish I had was the ability to recline it a bit because I did feel like I was like I just need to be back, yeah. you know, a, a bit further. So, yeah, that's probably my only thing that I'm – that I would have had on my wish list. Also just head support. If you're on a chair that doesn't, you can rest your head on. Just sometimes if you're tired and you just sit. Or nap trapped. <laughs> just being able to rest your head on something. And as lovely as it is to look at your baby, when you fed them a million times, you probably don't need to be checking them the entire time if you can resist it. So you're trying not to be looking down at them all the time just to avoid neck issues, like literally just chill. If you fever the bottle, making sure you switch sides, not only for you, but for your baby as well, so you're not always looking down to the left or the right. I know I have a preference if I bottle feed Akira, she's always on the left side. Um, luckily, I breastfeed, so I'm always switching. But yeah, if you bottle feed, you really want to make sure you switch it up so that you're not always looking down the same way as well. That's good advice. Mm-hmm. We're going to switch gears mm-hmm. and it's going to get a little TMI. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Top tips for pooping after a vaginal birth versus a c-section go (laughs) Um, because again it's going to be tmi but boy oh boy i had a c-section and i was like 
oh my God, how are we going to do this? This is terrifying. I mean, first and foremost, you know, you drugged up to the eyeballs um, and so the tremadol and endone and that within itself just completely clogs you up. Yeah. And, you know, during pregnancy, oh, man, even to what – actually the first three months were horrible. That was one of my biggest issues in the first trimester was the constipation. Mm. It was horrendous probably because I had a diet of potato, potato, potato and more potato um, because that's all I could stomach. But that first poop um, in hospital afterwards, I remember they came they they came to me on day three, the midwives, and they were like, so anything, anything? And I was like, nah, nothing yet. And Look, at this stage, first time mum, I knew nothing about probably better foods for postpartum and I was indulging in a lot of carby stuff as well. Not Okay, I'm not going to say indulging because that's the incorrect word. I needed those carbs because I was breastfeeding and they're great for postpartum recovery. My body knew exactly what it needed. But I probably should have been having more slow-cooked um, you know, meats and broths and things like that to help with digestion. And I remember the midwife came in and she was like, okay, Renee, you're leaving tomorrow. If nothing happens today, we're going to have to do a suppository. And I was like, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think so, lady. <laughs> and so she came to me and she said, but have they given you the cocktail? And I was like, the cocktail? And she said, I'll go get you the cocktail. <laughs> Um, and she came back and I still don't need, I have no idea what it is. Um, she came back with this little medicine cup um, with a tiny bit of liquid and a tablet. And she said to me, if you don't have a poop in 30 minutes time, we know that there's a problem. And I was like, okay. And can I just tell you, she was bang on because <laughs> I was just like, and I was wearing those SRC recovery um, shorts which FYI, I actually really didn't like. They were so tight. I felt like a like an Olympian swimmer getting into those speedos. Yeah. And can I just tell you, when you need to poop, I you cannot get those shorts Especially off fast enough. Cesarean section scar. Oh. <laughs> exactly. I was just yeah. like, like I needed a fifteen minute heads up before I went to the toilet mm-hmm. to get those mm-hmm. things off. Um, I know people love them, but for me, it just was, they were too tight <laughs> and I was wearing like a, a quite a large size, but yes, that first poop was terrifying. Yet I remember walking out of the bathroom, looking at Grace and going, I did it. I did it. We can't go home. No suppository. I did it. <laughs> it was the best thing ever. But then I still remember in postpartum, like I'm a pretty regular person with, Mm -hmm. you know, pooping. And that was another distressing thing for me. I was just like, oh, God, my digestive system is completely shot. And it's ongoing too, like three months and I'm still not back to normal because of the thing as well. Like it just keeps going. And thank God I was a regular person before. If you're already um, someone that has issues with their bowels in terms of getting constipated and you're pregnant, like you need to prioritize 
Yeah. I don't often say need, but you need to prioritize your bowel prep during pregnancy and have some things ready to go um, because it will kick you harder than um, someone who has regular. And even like, yeah, I had very regular bowel movements and yeah, I'm still dealing with, with issues with toiling um, and I'm pretty, pretty onto it. So talk us through what, what are your poop so tips? In general, let's just talk general. So, cause it, it can, as you say, in first trimester it can hit as well. And you yeah. don't want to be straining yeah. to poop ever if you can, because during pregnancy as well, there's already pressure on your pelvic floor. And if you're then straining, you're just asking for some pelvic floor issues. Um, so the biggest thing is try not to strain. I know that that is not always possible and I am a strain on myself if I need to. There are ways that you can do it, I guess, more safely. So again, back to breathing, using your breath to help you. So if you think about the way that the abdominal cavity looks, and I'm hopefully not getting too technical here, you've got your pelvic floor at the bottom, obviously, and then you've got your diaphragm at the bottom of your lungs. And essentially when you breathe in, the pelvic floor relaxes and the diaphragm moves down. So they're both moving in the same direction. So when you poop, you want your pelvic floor to relax, right? It's pretty hard to poop if your pelvic floor is holding on. So by breathing in, and letting your belly expand, letting it go. Often we don't want to do, and also it can be hard to do with C-section, so I'll talk about that in a second. Yeah, breathing in and letting your belly expand outwards actually puts some gentle pressure down on your bowels anyway, rather than doing the opposite of tensing your abs and straining that way. It just takes a bit longer. So it's actually, and I like to use it as a prompt to just take a moment. Like just breathe, just do some belly breaths if you can, and just be patient, it will happen. If not, then that's where you can start to add on a bit of pressure with your straining. So if you are going to take that option of bearing down, um, instead of closing your mouth and just putting all the pressure inside, just making like um, sometimes uh, people call it a horse's breast, so, or you can make like a tsh noise, or some people say moo when you poo, so moo, which I think is weird, but you can do what <laughs> Why do I love that? (laughs) Um, But making some kind of audible sound as you strain so that you're not putting all that pressure inside. You're letting letting the top off kind of thing. And, again, Mm -hmm. not trying to get it out in that one push. Just take it slow. If you've pushed out a baby vaginally, like, think about that. Just you got to wait. Yeah. (laughs) Have patience. So, yeah, breathing and just trying to relax the belly if you can. If not, just letting a bit of pressure off with an audible sound. Positioning-wise, if you can, elevate your feet to get your knees above your hips. Um, most people would have seen that. But um, I have a stool from Bunnings. cost me $10 that I that I use. Um, sometimes that's just enough to not need to strain. Like, it can really, really change. And it's not the same as going up on your toes. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's, it's really not the same. Being able to put your heels down and relax just changes how those muscles kind of let go. Um, yeah, so in terms of positioning, they're the, they're the two big things, breathing and elevated feet. If you do need to strain and you are nursing um, an abdominal incision from a cesarean section, it might just be a matter of either putting your hands there and putting some pressure on as you push, sometimes having a towel and then putting your hands there, which is also a good strategy with coughing and sneezing as well um, in those early days, which I'm sure I was actually nervous to cough and sneeze on my pelvic floor too. I felt like my insides were going to fall out. But with with a cesarean section scar, if you put a towel or you're just your hands on the sky as you cough and sneeze, it just gives you a bit of support. So essentially whenever you have to use your abs in that kind of way. Yeah. Also hydration. It's really, 
also for um going to a wee as well I my first so you say your first poo was thrown my first wee oh my god it took me 15 minutes to wee because I had grazes and oh, oh my god it was just I knew my pelvic floor was all right initially because I could stop my wee because <laughs> it was took me so long that is a good indicator oh. did you use one of those like peri bottles I, the... I just had a drink bottle but even then like it really oh, it was worse than labor pain for me and I had a, a yeah, vaginal birth, obviously. I like, and if I didn't stay hydrated and like I'd pee in the shower, that's like a strategy. Yes. Oh my God. I'd be like, oh my God, like, oh, so annoying. So staying hydrated if you have grazes or anything going on around the vagina and vulva area, like it's good for your poop and it's good for, the, for that too. That was the best thing. Like I was putting pawpaw down there. I was like trying to hold it with the toilet paper. Like all that stuff was like kind of helping, but hydration was by far the best thing like sometimes um yeah I would literally which is not advisable but I just had to for my own like sanity I wouldn't go to the bathroom until I drank a whole pile of water because then it will have diluted my urine like so even if I work in the morning because obviously in the morning you're dehydrated I might I'd go and see if I could go this is in like the first week right yeah and I'd be like oh my god like it's true so then I would just like wait half an hour and I would just guzzle some water and then it'd be much more achievable just the day I had my first pain-free wee it was like such a good day because <laughs> you wee so much more often than you poop oh. absolutely and it like you know add that to the mama milestones yeah. right yeah seriously peeing without pain oh. tick done yeah I yeah. peed all over my hands because I <laughs> tried to like get the <laughs> horrible but um yeah. yeah, but I kind of feel like we've been peeing all over our hands for like ages. Like, you know, from the very beginning to pee on the stick yeah, true. to see if we're pregnant. Yeah. Now we're just peeing on our hands yeah. just to kind of combat that pain. I wasn't but... even thinking about it. I was like, it hurts too. <laughs> <laughs> Urine sterile anyway. Like, get with the yeah. program, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I definitely have heard that um, pee in the shower thing. I've heard that that's um, definitely a winner. Yeah. yeah, that's great. I love it. All right, what are some of the red flags for mummers to seek medical advice from either a pelvic floor physio or a GP? Have you had experience with your clients? Perhaps, you know, they might have come in and either you would refer them on or, you know, if anyone's sitting at home going, oh, I don't know whether this is normal or this is – because this this is the issue, right? And this is, I guess, fundamentally why we do this podcast is to debunk myths and misconceptions and to get evidence-based information in front of mummers. A lot of people are like, oh, oh, so-and-so said that that's really normal. Like I had a friend who – I think it ended up being a second or third degree tear and she genuinely and like she's a, she's a highly educated woman she genuinely believed that it was part and parcel to be incontinent mm. after childbirth for months mm. like months and months and months and months and she just was like okay you know this is just this is just what I have to deal with because I'm a mum now. What are the types of things that you see where you go, oh, that's a red flag that needs further investigation? So incontinence is definitely definitely one. It's it's common, very common. Um, even if it's um, – this is another thing I think um, women dismiss is that they won't be incontinent in terms of – like they can make it to the bathroom on time and all that, but yeah. it'll be, oh, I just wee a little bit when I coughed or 
I can't laugh too hard, otherwise I'll wee a little bit. Oh, that's just normal. That's not normal. It's a sign that your pelvic floor is not activating um, or I guess that reflex isn't working when you cough or sneeze, which is really common, um, particularly, again, after a vaginal delivery, but also if you've just been pregnant, like it just increases your risk. Yeah, it's just you don't want that to go under the radar or just be pushed to the side because when we go through menopause, again, we have a lovely influx of hormones, the the joints. Cheers to being a woman. Yes. Um, And that's when those things will potentially resurface or they'll get worse. Why do they get worse, Meg? So essentially the hormone changes contribute to like vaginal dryness. They also contribute to the way that the urinary sphincter works. So it just won't be as strong um, and just generally like with aging as well, like your muscles get weaker. So you'll be kicking yourself that you didn't kind of try to recover it when you were when you were younger. One of the biggest, I'm not trying to scare people, but sometimes it's necessary. Um, one of the biggest reasons you get put into a nursing home when you're older is because you can't control your urine or your bowels. So yeah, you want to just, just fix it while you're young and can. Yeah. Um, and like, to be honest, Pelvic floors can be a bit boring, but you can do them anywhere. It's not like a hip exercise program where you've got to have some time or some weights or, you know, it's often just you could literally take a moment at your desk at work and no one would even know that you're doing them. But obviously, yeah, you just, it's just, it's a big price. Incontinence isn't normal. That's a flag to go and see a pelvic floor physio. And I guess we should just maybe split this into GP or doctor and pelvic floor physio because, yeah, there's certain things that are better at. So, yeah, incontinence for a pelvic floor physio. And any heaviness, dragging, if you know that you have a prolapse. So if a GP or your obstetrician says that you have a prolapse, especially if they don't give you information, I've definitely had clients go to GPs because they've got this dragging or heaviness feeling and they get told they have a prolapse and they don't get told what grade and they go home and Google it and all of a sudden they think they can never run for the rest of their life and all these crazy things. So if you get told you have a prolapse, make sure you go and see a pelvic floor physio to get it assessed properly and they can actually talk you through what that means for you it's not a sentence to never be able to exercise again that's another big misconception like there are lots of things you can do just got to a certain why are you having a prolapse is it muscle weakness is it connected to you blah 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 any pain whether it's from um it can be from a cesarean section scar so you can see you can see a regular physio for that but generally someone who's more focused in women's health um, or a pelvic floor physio pain with sex um, whether that's because of a scar or just because or just pain with sex in general it's actually really common even in women that haven't had kids um, unfortunately so any pain with sex a pelvic floor physio can assess um, as to why that might be happening whether it's a hormonal thing whether it's actually your pelvic floors tightening up whether you've got some kind of nerve irritation and also any issues with breasts, there are a lot of pelvic floor physios that actually can treat that as well. Um, okay. So if you go to a GP and they might prescribe antibiotics or something, um, but if you're in those early stages and you want to avoid going to the hospital because that's just not an experience you want at any time during um, early motherhood, yeah, go see a pelvic floor physio that also treats mastitis. They can um, do some therapeutic ultrasound and just talk you through some self-massage techniques. So it's more those, I guess, things that aren't, Versus a GP, you would see things for like bleeding or fever or yes. your scar looks infected or you just don't feel right. Um, obviously, if you've got mental health concerns, um, big things like that. You can also see them for all those things that I mentioned with the pelvic floor physio. Um, but a pelvic floor physio, they're trained in that area. They'll be able to assess it in just a very different way, whereas a GP might just identify it and then say, go and see a pelvic floor physio. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. And just going back to your point around 
pelvic floor exercises. And I think there's a lot of there's a lot of chat about it. What what type of pelvic floor exercises can people be doing? Because I've seen things where um, people say that you should be doing something called a short mm-hmm. hold versus a long hold mm-hmm. and you should be doing a combination of the two throughout the day. How often should people be doing these things? Like what are your tips and recommendations mm-hmm. for that? So as with any exercise prescription, it's always potentially individualised. So many of us have a tight pelvic floor, not a weak pelvic floor. So sometimes it's a matter of actually learning to let go of your pelvic floor rather than just doing, I guess, the traditional Kegels, which is doing squeezes. Um, So that's the first thing to note. Your pelvic floor needs to be able to contract and relax. Going back to birth preparation, um, if you are planning on having a vaginal birth, yeah, you really want to be able to let your pelvic floor go because that's obviously where baby's passing through. And the pelvic floor strength is more in those early days postpartum avoiding things like incontinence and things like that as well. So in terms of the types of contractions of pelvic floor, um, so there are different muscle fibers, but that's nitty gritty. So you want to be able to hold it for about 10 seconds if possible. That's generally like the gold standard. 10 seconds, have a break, and then be able to do that 10 times. This is just a general recommendation. Again, it's always best if you go and get assessed by pelvic floor physio, even if it's during pregnancy, ideally during pregnancy. Um, But I know not everyone can afford that. And sometimes it's just a matter of, I'll just see how I go. So yeah, ideally, if you can hold for 10 seconds, have a break, be able to do that again. And you should ideally in pregnancy be doing that three times a day. In combination with that, making sure you're getting that complete relaxation in between those 10 second holds. Like you said, the short ones are more, I guess, what we term quick flicks. So like on, off on, on, off. And so that's coordinating things with coughing, sneezing, laughing. Um, when you really need your belly floor to turn on so you don't <laughs> lose control. Um, incontinence with coughing, sneezing is more complicated than just your pelvic floor. Like it's also a coordination thing, um, but obviously that muscle, quick muscle contraction is part of it. And one of the biggest things with the short quick flicks is that people often find that they'll, let's say if you think about the bottom of the contraction is like relaxed at zero and the top is at 10 a lot of women will find that they go to 10 and then one and then 10 and then two and then 10 and then three and and they end up doing like 10 9 10 9 they can't let go back down to that that fully relaxed position so um making sure you just take your time quality over quantity quality over speed um and generally if you do 25 a couple of times a day that's generally recommended during pregnancy after birth it really is dependent on how your pelvic floor is going so you really want to get assessed so you get a tailored program Exactly. And to that point, like that was definitely one of the things that that I did only off the back of my personal trainer saying to me, you know, if you want to train with me, I really need you to go get that checked out because, mm. you know, she's she's like, I'm not a pelvic floor physio. We've got to see what we're working with here because I could say, let's do X, Y, Z, but you may not be ready and they're going to give you a program to be able to get you to that point where you are ready. So I I completely agree. I think everyone should go and see a pelvic floor physio at that six, eight-week mark. Mm-hmm. I think I have been quite vocal with this. I think it should be part of the six-week checkup. Absolutely. And I think it should be subsidised by the government because, as you say, the flow-on effect with women who don't have these issues addressed now 
you know, it snowballs. It goes into the second, third, fourth pregnancy and thereafter. And, you know, it's the quality of life at at the end where we could possibly be put in nursing homes because we just can't hold on and we're incontinent. So that's just me on my soapbox. <laughs> and on that too, it's not just incontinence and, you know, because some are like, oh, I'll just wear a pad. It's also um, pleasure with sex. Like yes. the pelvic floor is, has a huge role to play when it comes to your pleasure during sex, orgasm, um, and most of us are doing that. Maybe not immediately after birth because um, a lot of us do have pain initially. Um, but, yeah, like that's how babies started. That's how we got here yeah. in the first place, right? Yeah. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> There's more than more than one reason. Like, let's not just focus on not wanting to wet yourself, and also fecal incontinence too. We probably should touch on that. One out of ten women um, do have fecal incontinence. Yeah, just in general. So it's also a big issue, and you're not wow. alone if that is something that you're suffering with. Pelvic floor physios can help you with that too. Really common after third and fourth degree tears, unfortunately, because they involve the anal sphincter. But um, yeah, so it's yeah, so much more than just incontinence. It's a whole range of things, and just feeling good in your body, right? That's exactly. Huge support physically. So yep. when that area doesn't, I know for me, like when I cough and sneeze, I still feel a huge um, descent of that area. Um, yep. I still don't feel confident in my body to support my organs, which the, the way that impacts how you feel about yourself is I don't feel supported. I don't feel like mm-hmm. I can support myself, which is not a great thing to identify with. So there's so much power in seeing a pelvic floor physio beyond that physical component. Like it's so much bigger than that, um, I guess, touching on that holistic um, yeah, yeah, a- absolutely, and and that's. I was just kind of thinking my my daughter is absolutely hell bent on um, going to bounce the trampoline um, place, and we've ended up. Fingers crossed, COVID doesn't stuff it up. But we've you know we've booked her her next birthday party there, and she's so excited. And I I've done a lot of work with my pelvic floor. It's not perfect, but I'm able to go on those trampolines and bounce with her and she loves it. Like it's just the best thing for her. And I always kind of look across at other mums and think would they are they the mums who really want to be out here too, mm. but they can't because I know how difficult it is. Mm. You know, if you don't have your pelvic floor kind of in check and and things like that. So just, you know, as you say, running around, picking up your child who is inevitably going to be, oh God, I don't even want to hazard a guess how how much my um, daughter weighs at the moment. She's four and like, she looks like she's about six. (laughs) She's so tall. So yeah, it's just about living your life. And Mm. as you say, that holistic kind of view of, of, being able to look after yourself and feel supported mm. mentally and physically. Mm. Meg, we are going to wrap up with some quick fire questions. Oh. I've got three here. What are some of the craziest myths you've ever heard in your industry? Crazy is a, is a strong word. Um, <laughs> what terms of incontinence being common, um, not normal. If you do Kegels, you won't have pelvic floor issues. That's a huge huge myth because um, sometimes they make things worse. C-section means you don't have to do pelvic floor exercises. Abdominal separation means you're going to have back pain or if you have back pain, it's because of your abdominal separation. You need to have good posture. Good posture doesn't exist. There's obviously <laughs> a range of 
you know, you don't want to be slouching right over, but um, yep. there's a saying in, um, I guess, the physio industry that the best posture is your next posture. So keeping moving is the best thing. Any sustained posture, whether it's upright and perfect with your elbows, blah, 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 in the right position, right, with uh, air quotation marks, if you hold that for 10 hours, you're going to get sore. If you hold your fist for 10 hours, you're going to get sore. It's all about the body moving. And I guess that the huge myth, again, uh, with postpartum is that you're all good at six weeks. Oh my God. I literally want to like slap anyone who says that. (laughs) I I actually shared, I think it was from TikTok originally, but like effectively a reel on Instagram yesterday. And it was um, an American mother who was pretty much having a rant about the six week checkup and how she was just, oh, you're fine. You're off to go. Thanks very much. Goodbye. And it's like, mm-hmm. are you joking? Like, mm-hmm. and there was quite a few profanities in there, which is probably what resonated <laughs> with me mostly. But yeah, it is that whole like tick off you go on your way. And I'm just like, Sometimes you know, it look, the I, beginning. exactly. Yeah. Um, and we look, we are very fortunate here in Australia that we do have. Mm. Um, you know, a, the opportunity to have a six-week checkup. I know there are a lot of people in this world who don't even have that opportunity and the appointments for follow-ups for mothers is, you know, few and far between. But I also am a huge advocate for the fact that, you know, if you look at the amount of postpartum checkups for a child versus a mother Mm. whether it be emotionally, physically or otherwise, it is so disparate Mm. and it just does not make sense. Yeah, the six-week checkup can get the bird as far as 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 I'm concerned. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. It's like Mm. on your way, see you later, goodbye. I think one person I saw had... um, had a rundown of if you were if you had like um just knee a knee reconstruction Mm. which is effectively open you know surgery and like everything is being regrafted and what have you like that you would have access to rehabilitation Mm. and you know weekly consults with your surgeon and what have you what do women have after a c-section yeah nothing like virtually nothing. Unless you've got a private obstetrician, but even then I think sometimes. I yeah. did. I got a, I got a six-week checkup mm-hmm. and I think, you know, my maternal child health nurse simply asked, oh, how, how's your scar going? Yeah. And I was like, like effectively I was like, yeah, it doesn't look infected, you know? <laughs> I was just like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> like, um you know, my intestine is still on the inside of my body, like check. (laughs) Okay. Two questions to go. What is, and I know um, you're very fresh and green to the motherhood, but do you have a favorite mum hack thus far? Mum hack? Yeah. Is there something where you're just like, oh yes, I just MacGyvered that or I love doing this or like you've repurposed something um, like a product for something else? I feel like I would definitely have one if I spoke to Mike. I, I <laughs> Maybe he's identified it and you haven't even picked up on it yet. Yeah, I'm trying to – it's only a hack, but I feel like breastfeeding lying down is, like, awesome. 
I don't know whether yeah. this is a hack or if it just works for us um, because I know that every baby crying is different. So often we get told that, oh, your baby wants you, like hold them close, blah, blah, blah. But I actually find it, maybe it's because Akira is my daughter and she likes to talk. If she's, you know, when they get to that like screaming, almost inconsolable, if I actually yeah. put her down, which you think is counterintuitive, and talk to her and she like yells at me, but like is looking at me, she does that for five minutes and then she's good. It's like she's just like, oh, my God, I'm so frustrated, Mom. And then she's like, okay, I'm fine now. Versus when we, we could be hugging her for half an hour and she'll, yeah, I don't know whether that's a hack, but if it's a hack for us, <laughs> get her talking. But yeah, maybe that's interesting. I like, uh, I would love to be able to kind of explore that with a neurocognitive yeah. person. But maybe it is the concept of she yeah, she's wanting to have a conversation with you and you're, and so do you, so you obviously talk back to her, like, and you're having a chat with her about it, almost like, okay, doll, we're good. I know you're upset. Like how, how does the conversation go? Yeah. Just kind of like, oh yeah, you sound frustrated. And like, she'll, um, she's obviously not talking. I'll be like, wow, like this is so frustrating. And so then, and then I'll stop and be like, your turn. And because when I talk, she'll be like, what are you doing? And so yeah. then she takes a little more, yeah, and then she'll start doing it. So I might um, kind of replicate what she's doing in an expressive way or just say, yeah, baby, I know, I know, it's hard. You're doing so good. Yeah, you know, it's hard being a baby. You know, you're processing these huge emotions. They can be so scary, like just talking as if, you know, what's actually happening to her. But obviously I don't know if she understands anything, but that has worked for us. Sometimes she I love does that. need a cuddle, but um, it, it definitely this is when she was a bit yeah. – um, not when she was brand new. This is when she was like 10 weeks and started Love it. effective. <laughs> and our final question, which we ask all our guests, what's on your bedside table? Oh, my God, what a cool question. I have a salt lamp. I have my pawpaw cream. I have the uh, heater remote. I probably have some bobby pins. There's a lot of dust. <laughs> um, <laughs> And I think I actually have a little model of, we have a 3D printer. It was the first thing I printed on the 3D printer. It's like this weird little dog thing. So that's sitting there too. <laughs> that's cute. I love it. Yeah, that's about it. Awesome. <laughs> that's great. That I've, I've, We have not had that response before. Dust and a 3D printed dog. Yeah. <laughs> I love the honesty though. We find that a lot of mums, um, you know, they're mostly mums on our podcast. Uh, like that's where we get the full honesty and I feel like we get a, a bit of a insight into mm. the personal life of, um, of our guests. But with all that, thank you so much for your time today, Meg. I have learned a lot. I'm going to go off and learn a bit more about breath work. Mm. I think it's such a fascinating area to, and I think, you know, being able to understand a bit more around that, that's actually going to help me my postpartum care of mm. of mums as well and thank you for indulging me in my poop conversation <laughs> i think it's going to be quite rare for guests to be able to do that with me so um it has been an absolute pleasure thank you so much for your time thank you for having me it's been so fun I know. I highly doubt this is going to be our one and only. So everyone stay tuned for part two. I feel like we're going to be able to pull a few things out of this. But just to wrap up, Meg, how would the listeners find you? Where are you located? And we did allude to the fact that you are opening up your practice again in August. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram. That's probably um, my main point of contact with most people. So it's Hey Mama Physio. Yeah, my business is actually opening on August 3rd. So um, it's a practice in Boronia in Melbourne, Victoria, starting with some mums and bubs classes because Akira is only going to be four months old, so I'm not going to go too crazy. Um, but, yeah, so I've got some mums already interested in that. So it's uh, just mat-based classes where we just do movement, we do some breath work. I just get to talk to babies, hold babies. And then I've got physio as well, obviously. So I'm not a pelvic floor physio, um, so I don't do internal pelvic floor assessments, but anything else. So lower back pain, pelvic girdle pain, wrist pain, headaches, whatever it is. So yeah, and I've got big plans, but this is just just the start. So this is the birth of my second baby, my business baby. I'm very excited. <laughs> fantastic thank you so much for letting us know about that i'll put that all um in the show notes for anyone listening um you can head over to our website ifeelyourcup.com forward slash podcasts and everything will be there meg's beautiful face will be there and you can just click through and find out all the details about meg awesome thank you so much meg have a great day thanks see ya If you loved this episode, please hit the subscribe button and leave a review. If you know someone out there who would also love to listen to this episode, please hit the share button so they can benefit from it as well. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to The Science of Motherhood. If you would like to contact us, we are at ifillyourcup.com or you can DM us at ifillyourcup underscore via Instagram. You can find all of our services including our postpartum in-home care and our fill your freezer meal delivery service as well through both those channels. Thanks so much for listening.